We're in the book of Mark. Uh, we just started Mark last week, and uh, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 16 through the end of the chapter. We'll look at a lot of different uh, scenarios here uh, in which Jesus is ministering, and what we will see here uh, in this study is just the authority of Jesus and how we see his authority, his power at work. Uh, whatever the particular need may be. And we were in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Mark. Mark writing, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Then immediately, or they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. And then they went into, the, into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. They told him about her at once. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she served them. And at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all that were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not uh, allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having, having risen a long while before the daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this reason or this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded, commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in, a desert, in the deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. And Father, we praise you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your Son. We thank you, Lord, for your awesome plan of redemption. And Lord, like these folks who are coming to Jesus, Lord, uh, pe- many people today, including ourselves, come to you from many directions in life. And we thank you, Lord, that you know exactly our need. Lord, your God, your Savior, your Helper, your Keeper. And Lord, you know everything about our lives. You know our past. You know our present. You know our tomorrows. And Lord, we look to you for guidance and direction. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your power in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the the authority, Lord, in this universe. And we bow our knees before you, recognizing your lordship, recognizing your greatness, your goodness. What an awesome and wonderful God you are. So we commit this time to you this morning. And Lord, we pray and we trust that you're going to take your word and speak, Lord, into our lives. Lord, you know what we need. Lord, so often, Lord, we don't know how, we can't fix ourselves. But Lord, you're the one who can. And we pray that you would have free course this morning. Lord, that you would work in our lives. And Lord, maybe even perhaps beyond our our expectations. So often, Lord, we can, uh, Lord, settle, Lord, for something less than what you have. And Lord, we come this morning in faith, believing you that you're great, you're awesome, Lord, you're wonderful. Lord, demonstrate, we pray, your goodness and greatness, we pray. Give us understanding today in these matters. We ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, as we look at this uh, text here this morning, we see in many different ways uh, the authority of Jesus Christ, his authority as it comes to sickness and disease, his authority over uh, the invisible world. Now, his, his authority to speak into our life, his authority to call us, you know, into a relationship with him. But, you know, it's interesting when you consider the authority of Jesus. Uh, here is God. He's sovereign. He's got authority. But in this uh, age of grace, he doesn't force his way upon us, uh, that, that he wants us to want him. Uh, he wants us to come to him. He wants us to ask him. Uh, he wants to see there's a response on our part in this whole matter of relationship. Uh, Yes, God is great, he's powerful, he's authoritative, he's sovereign, Uh, yet he's not going to force his way and his best and his will in each one of our lives. We have to come to that place where we realize, Lord, I need you. Uh, I need you in my life. I need you, uh, maybe perhaps, maybe as you've walked with the Lord for a certain period of time, you realize that maybe you've been running a certain aspect in the area of your life. Uh, And you say to the Lord now, Lord, I want want to just give this area over to you. Uh, I want you to take mastery. I want you to take control. I want, I want to see your authority in my life in a particular area. Now, as we come here to this uh, particular text, <coughs> uh, Jesus, Jesus is basically introduced to us, and he has an authority that no other man has. Uh, and it's simply because of who he is. He's God. He's God come in human form. Uh, and when you think about what an awesome thing that God would come, uh, you know, he wouldn't just, you know, send orders out from heaven. 
that he would come in the person of his son and he would reveal his heart. He would reveal who he is. He would reveal his person. That's what we see in Jesus Christ. What we see in him is what God is like. Um, I think, you know, when you talk to people about what they think God is like, you'll get a, you know, you'll get a, a pantheon of different opinions of what people think God is like. They maybe perhaps uh, uh, have a, you know, and anybody really does, even, even us who know Christ, our, our understanding is limited, but those outside of Christ, um, you know, what oftentimes they may hear or something they may read about God, that may be their theology. And I think it's important that we make our theology biblical theology because there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of hearsay that what, you know, what people, and again, the secular uh, ideas of what God is like and what Jesus is like is so incredibly different uh, than what we find when we come to the Bible. And so we're going to see that as we move here through this Gospel of Mark and, and uh, this morning here, kind of a little bit of a jet tour here uh, through this chapter. I know we've got a lot of verses here to look at this morning. But we have to remember that his words have power. Uh, he said, my word, has power, my word has, is spirit and my word is life. And again, uh, we, we see that in many different venues here. Uh, remember this, Jesus is the same uh, yesterday, today, and for, forever. Even though he may not be here in physical form, he's here you know, spiritually. He's walking among us. Uh, he, he's working. And that's why when we come uh, to a time of fellowship together, we need to, we need to realize that, that, that Jesus, he has said, remember, he made the promise, wherever two or more, more are gathered, I'm there in the midst. Now, he's with us as individuals, but I think as far as his manifest presence, uh, that when we come together, he is there to work. He is there to speak to our need. He's there to meet us uh, in, in a personal, even though we're here as a group, uh, he is here to meet us in a personal, you know, intimate kind of way. And sometimes I look around during worship and I see that. You know, I see, I see folks with their eyes closed, their hands lifted. And uh, you can tell they're kind of like in the zone, uh, you know, with the Lord. And then sometimes, too, we may go through a whole worship, you know, uh, you know experience. And, you know, we're barely even singing. Our minds are some other place. But the fact of the matter is he is here to meet with us if we desire to meet with him. Now, as we here look, as we move into uh, uh, this uh, part of the chapter here, ver uh, verses 16 through 20, looking at this little particular section here, we find the call comes here to two sets of brothers, uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John. Uh, they're both called. And, you know, when you think about the call of God, it's one of those kind of things that God, uh, it's not so much an audible call or a vocal call that you hear with your ear. It's something that is much deeper within your spirit, within your life. There's a drawing, if you will. You know, God begins to draw you, and that may happen in many different ways. You may be listening to a radio broadcast, and all of a sudden God is speaking to your need. You may have a friend that's maybe witnessing to you. Uh, you may be, you know, you may be in a Bible study, and all of a sudden you know, there's a lot of people that come into church uh, or attend, uh, you know, different Bible groups. Uh, that's why we have a lot of interactive Bible groups, and, 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 and some of the folks will, you know, bring a friend in because they feel like, well, it's not in the sanctuary, uh, it's in a home, or sometimes we have them over in Wegmans, or wherever the case may be, um, and it's uh, more of a casual kind of atmosphere. Uh, and it's amazing, too, how many people, you know, as they sense God, you know, just God calling them in some kind of way, and it's very hard um, to basically... Um, identify that because he does it he does it for us in different ways um i remember uh, somebody telling me that they were um in a group uh, one of our tuesday tuesday night guys was he was in a group with a bunch of other men and they were going around the circle 
uh, each one saying how they came to Christ. And it was interesting that there was a, the larger group of those guys there, they all came to Christ through the radio broadcast. An amazing thing, isn't it? That, uh, uh, and I, I had one guy call me many years ago. He was a truck driver. He was on the road. And one of my, one of my broadcasts was on like, you know, like 1 o'clock in the morning. And I remember him making a point to call me uh, because what, you know, was said at the time, really the Lord ministered to his life and encouraged him. Uh, so it's amazing what God can use to just call us. Uh, and in that calling, he's calling us into a, a place of relationship with himself. God is a personal God. He loves us uh, deeply, and he wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with us. You know, sometimes church, sometimes uh, Christianity can degenerate into what I call churchianity, where we're just kind of going to church, and we're just kind of going through the motions. We're going through the rhythms. But there isn't that vibrant living relationship with Jesus. And you know what? We need to have that. And God wants that for each and every one of us. And so again, the call of God is something that's heard by the individual deep within their life and deep within their spirit. And we see here in verses 17, Jesus simply says, you know, to these guys, follow me. And do you ever discover with God, he doesn't give you a lot of instructions in that sense or an explanation that is you know, relative to maybe God wants you to take a step of faith. Um, you know, he calls you into relationship with himself, and you don't get all these explanations of what the whys and the wherefore, but you know that in his call that you need him. And we see that here in this text, follow me, and notice what they do. They, they left their nets and they followed him. When you look at this in a natural kind of way, it doesn't make sense, does it? It, it seems kind of crazy that God would call them to leave their career. Imagine God calling one of you that you're in a place where you're settled in your life, you have a certain career. And I think these guys just sort of grew up in the fishing industry. And so that's all in a sense they knew. And so perhaps maybe as they heard that call, there was some kind of question. Well, Lord, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, and I think that, that does become a challenge to us. You know, when God calls us and we don't know exactly, you know, how he's going to work out all the details. And he doesn't tell us the details. Uh, again, it, it comes down to faith, doesn't it? It comes down to our trusting him that if God calls us to do something, that he's going to provide. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't, we don't find that out. We don't understand that until, you know, you know, God can call you to do a certain thing. But if you don't take the step of faith and follow him and do it, you're never going to find out how God is going to take care of those details. You know, how God is going to, you know, work out all those questions that you have about that. But that's why God, you know, he wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to trust him, not trusting in our intellect, not, you know, I'll do it if I understand it. A lot of people have this kind of relationship with the Lord that I'll do what you want me to do, Lord, if I can understand it. So you have to explain it to me. And I'll tell you what, you're never going to do anything because God is not going to explain it to you. He just says, I want you to trust me. I want you to lean upon me. I want you to look to me. And I've, I've discovered as a Christian, that's not only the way that you enter in to the Christian life, but that's the way that you basically thrive in the Christian life, by faith, trusting him. Um, again, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, we find also, too, when it comes to John and James in verse 20, we're told there that they left their father Zebedee uh, you know, in the boat with the hired help, and they went after Jesus. Now, can you imagine that? I always wondered what, Ze you know, Zebedee, the father, thought. You know, where are you guys going? You know, what's going on here? Uh, you know, you've, you've grown up, you know, in this, in this industry. You know, what, you just walk away? What, are you crazy kind of thing? 
And sometimes, you know, when it comes to following Jesus, people think that about you. And in a rational, logical kind of way, if maybe we would look at the call of God upon our life or a step of faith in our life, it may look like that. It may look like insanity. But I'll tell you what, when you step out, God will basically prove himself faithful. Whenever, you know, how many times have you maybe taken a step of faith? Uh, a, a number of times um, over the years we've had short-term missions. We've had them all around the world. And, uh, and it's interesting that so often on these short-term missions, every time we have a short-term mission, it's usually different people that go. And, and you watch, it's interesting how God just selects and picks out, you know, different individuals to go on these outreaches and on these missions. And, uh, and initially they'll say, well, gee whiz, I never thought I could do anything like that. Or I don't know how God's going to provide for it. And, and amazingly, every time, you know, God comes through, he's faithful. Um, He's taken, he's taken uh, so many of us, regular, ordinary individuals, taken us into a foreign uh, culture, cross-culture, sometimes even the language barrier. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, you know, God using us in that venue and in that situation. But if you're not willing to take that step by faith and just trust him and follow him, it ain't going to happen. Again, we, 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 we walk by faith and not by sight and that's why even Proverbs 3 says, you know, lean not to your own understanding. A lot of times if we can figure it out, um, you know, we'll do it. And again, what's it? By faith. By faith, we understand. Don't put understand in front of faith. Don't put your logic, don't put your rationale in front of faith because you'll never do it. You'll never take a step. By faith, we understand. And we find that um, truth uh, to take place in our life in a wonderful way. Now, again, he calls us to follow, and he will not violate our free will. He's given us a volition. He will not violate our free will. We have to make that decision. We have to take that step. And again, there's the divine side he calls, but here's the human side I have to follow. We have to take that step. We've been, we've been looking at that in the book of Joshua um, as they're called to go into the promised land. Uh, you know, when they, when they left Egypt, when they left their slavery in Egypt, Moses stood at the water and the water opened up. When they, 40 years later, they were to take a new step of faith and they were going to go into the promised land. What did they have to do? They have to get into water first. The water didn't part until they got into the water. And that's, that's the life of faith. As, as we simply, you know, follow him and we take our step, we find that God will wonderfully provide and he will do what he has said he will do. Now we see here in verses 21, you know, through this section here, we see the words of Jesus Christ and what power and what authority that they have. And we see that's a power and authority against sin, against things demonic. And, and whenever Jesus is working, uh, demonic things are exposed. And we see that here as he goes into his synagogue uh, into Capernaum. And Capernaum was his headquarters there. If you've ever been with us to Israel, it's at the kind of the, uh, the, the head there of uh, the Sea of Galilee, a very beautiful site. Uh, there's an actual synagogue, the foundation from a synagogue there from the second century, and uh, just a, a beautiful setting. And so uh, this is probably uh, that second, underneath that second uh, century uh, uh, synagogue, there's a foundation of the one actually that's made out of basalt. And you can see the black rock, the black basalt uh, that goes back to the time of Christ. 
And so he goes there, and we're told very simply, he teaches as one having authority and not as the regular scribes. And I don't know exactly how the scribes taught, but it was a sort of in a matter-of-fact kind of way. There wasn't really that authoritativeness uh, that came in the ministry of Jesus Christ and in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because in his, with his authority, he reaches down and he speaks to the real need. He speaks to our spirit. Not so much a matter of, you know, hearing the Holy Spirit. Yes, if, if it's, you know, the word being preached. Uh, but it's him speaking, you know, deep down to those issues, to those areas, and those things in our hearts and lives where we need his help, where we need him to be active, you know, within our life and within our situation. He will always speak to our greatest need. He'll always speak because he wants to minister to that particular need, you know, in our life and in the situation. Now, here we find he meets somebody in verse 23, a man who has an unclean spirit, uh, a demon spirit. And I kind of wonder if this man was a regular attendee in this synagogue. He, he very well may have been, you know, where, you know, maybe everybody thought, well, you know, he's just a little bit different than everybody else. But, yeah, he comes every week and, you know, that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is only Jesus knew that the man had demonic activity within his life. And, of course, with Jesus being there, it broke out. It was exposed. And, and we're told here, uh, and again, look what he says. You know, the, th the other thing, too, you know, when you think about, you know, the enemy, uh, Satan, and how he tries to infiltrate, you know, different situations, uh, he oftentimes hides in plain sight. Uh, he's oftentimes involved in religious organizations, political organizations, anywhere there, there's power. Anywhere that he can influence people and get in, get in perhaps control of leadership because he knows that in that venue that he'll be able to make impact and influence the lives of other people. But again, nobody knows he's there. It's like today. You talk to people about, you know, demonic activity and that sort of thing. And again, we don't want to see the devil behind every tree, okay? I mean, that, that can be really extreme. But we have to realize that he's very powerful, and that he's involved in the affairs of men today. And sometimes, if maybe you may have, as the Bible refers to, the gift of discernment, sometimes you may sense. You may sense the activity of the enemy at work. And I always like what Oswald Chambers said about discernment, discerning things. He said, discernment is God's call to intercession. And if you have the ability, if the Holy Spirit happens to give you the ability to sense those kind of spiritual things, you know, going on. Like perhaps maybe uh, there's somebody, you have a loved one in your life, and they're moving into a kind of a lifestyle. Maybe it could be a drug lifestyle or some kind of lifestyle. And, and, and you, you're able, to, God's able to show you what's taking place within that person's life. You need to pray. You need to pray. You, you may be the one person, the only person praying for that particular individual uh, that God might deliver them, that God might open their eyes, that God might save them. Uh, I, 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 I would imagine over the course of church history how prayers have been God's great intervention uh, to work you know, protection or to work salvation or to work deliverance in so many situations um, you know, where, where uh, you know, God is showing his people the need to pray. That's why we're gathering tonight thinking about uh, all the things that are going on, all the violence going on in our world, in our culture. And, uh, and, and don't take for granted somebody else is praying. If God, in a sense, gives you the nod to pray, you need to pray. 
it's in a sense a sort of a mantle that you take up. Um, none of us feel that, you know, we're some great intercessors, some great prayer warriors. But if God is telling you to pray, you need to take up that mantle. Uh, and and you, may be, you may be the intercessor in your circle of friends and relationships. There may be nobody else that's willing to do that, or maybe, not, maybe none of them are saved. And so God wants to use your life to reach out. And I'll tell you what, prayer is tremendously effective, much more. And that's why I think a lot of people don't realize that. There's so much unbelief about prayer in the church. That's why people oftentimes really don't pray, because they really don't believe that it works, or at least they don't believe their prayer works. But there's only one way to find out. You've got to pray. And God honors prayer. You know, one of the things that we talked about last week in, in the, that, um, was it, was it uh, Sunday morning? It was, it was, I think it was Sunday morning last week where we, we looked at that uh, Luke chapter 11, and Jesus says there six times, ask. And it's basically about prayer. Ask. You know, he says, ask and you will receive. You know, seek and you will find. Knock. And he's talking about knocking, you know, in a sense, in prayer on God, you know, on heaven's door, you know, that God might just work. We need to ask. God honors that, um, that very thing. Now he says, here, here's the response. Um, and it's not so much from the man Although it is, he's using the man's voice, but it's the demon, demon spirit. Let us alone. I think sometimes that's the cry of people's lives when they don't want God involved in their life. Don't ever ask the Lord to let you alone. You never want to ask him that. You need to say, Lord, mess with me. Lord, whatever you want to do, you just mess with me. You'll never regret the fact that God, and again, the Bible says, you know, God is, you know, he, he pursues us. He pursues us. Because he's got a, a plan, a purpose. He's got something he wants to work within your life and my life. And he says, now here's what, here's what the demon prompts the man to say. What have, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I find it interesting that this was the only individual in the synagogue that recognized Jesus. It was the demon. <laughs> Nobody else knew that the Messiah, that God, was literally walking in their midst. And these were his people that were supposed to be waiting for him. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet, come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. You know, most of us will never, ever witness such a spectacle of this. But again, don't be deceived. Satan is alive and well, and he's at work in our world today. And he is so effective in disguising and camouflaging himself that people don't think he's real. They think when you say the devil, they think of this old caricature, the little red caricature, you know, with the pointy tail and the pitchfork, you know, kind of a thing. And they think, well, that's just symbolic of evil. There, there's, it's much more than that. <laughs> and Jesus said to you and me, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when you look at the violence, you look at the hatred, 
you look at the stuff that is going on in our world today. And when you go back to the root of it, when you go back beyond the human sin, it's Satan taking advantage of sinful human beings. And that's why God sends us out into the culture. We're like a, you know, he's like, he likens us to salt. And you'll have like a little salt shaker. He shakes you and I out into the culture. And even each one of us have that sphere of friends and activities, you know, where God wants to use us to disseminate his truth and to speak and to tell people about our Lord and Savior. Now, their reaction is a question saying, what is this? They'd never seen anything like that before. What's this, what's this new doctrine? For he, with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So uh, sometimes people try to, and I think sometimes too, you know, when the Holy Spirit's at work, when God's at work, you know what? You can't reduce it down to a methodology. Here they say, what, what new doctrine is this? It's not some doctrinal formula. You know what it is? It's Jesus. And when God is working today in the midst of his people, it's Jesus. It's the Lord working through his spirit. It's that wonderful, incredible dynamic. You know, sometimes, you know, I've seen Christians try to put a formula to it, a certain kind of methodology, and there isn't any. You know, when Jesus, even when Jesus healed in so many different situations, they're all different. They're all so very different. Because, you know, we like to think, oh, if we just, you know. You can imagine if, if every time, um, you know, when somebody needed healing, he either put mud on their eye and mud on their church, and it would be the church of the muddy finger. Um, because that's how Jesus works. We, would think. We, we try to do that. And it's just our crying out, and he may work in so many, he works in so many different ways. He's so creative. Whether he's saving somebody or touching their life or answering prayer in some kind of way. There's that incredible and awesome and wonderful dynamic of him. So the Sabbath morning is over here as we come to verse 29. And again, what a morning it was, powerful sermon, uh, deliverance, you know, to boot. Uh, and again, imagine the conversations because... Uh, usually uh, in the Jewish culture, after Sabbath day, it would be over around, around, right around noon, and so they would go off for lunch. And I think here in our story here, Peter's uh, mother-in-law was probably making lunch. They were planning to go back to Peter's house and have a time of maybe rest and fellowship. And so you can imagine some of the conversations that took place after a morning like that. You know, when the dynamic of Jesus is at work and changing lives, impacting, you know, individuals. And they entered uh, the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. That's probably a surprise to them. They probably didn't know that. They probably had a plan that she was just going to make, you know, uh, brunch for them. They were going to go home and hang out and have a, just a, a, a restful afternoon. But as they get there, uh, she is sick. Uh, they told him about her at once, and so he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. And so again, what we see here is the authority of Jesus over sickness. One of his names in the Old Testament was Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. As we get to the New Testament, we find out he's the great physician. 
He is Jehovah Rapha. Not operating by that name, but the fact of the matter is it's the Spirit of God you know, at work in him, uh, revealing, manifesting himself. You know, it's interesting. So many, there were so many different manifestations or expressions of deity and who Jesus was you know, in the midst of his people. But it's, isn't it also incredible the blindness you know, that we can have as human beings? Here, here is God at work walking among his people who had been waiting for him for well over a thousand years, probably more like close to, closer to 2,000 years, that they had been waiting for him. And yet here he is at, you know, at walking in the midst, at work, touching lives. I think sometimes you, know, you, you can get so distracted, so caught up with life that we can really miss. We can miss Jesus. We can miss what he's doing. Sometimes he works powerfully in somebody that's kind of like right beside us. It's like, oh, really? And in verse 31, you know, each act of healing was tailored to the individual. That's why he, he healed people so many different ways. See, he doesn't treat us like some herd. He ministers to us in an individual, personal kind of a way. He just he takes her, he lifts her up by the hand in a very gentle way. And as he does that, I don't I don't know exactly here, you know, what he says other than rebuking the fever. And she's healed. There have been times where. We've seen the Lord just touch somebody in a service. The emphasis wasn't even on healing. I can remember many years ago going to healing services. And uh, I, I'm not sure how legitimate they were. But I believe that as people come in faith, and again, God knows our need. Now, does the Lord heal everybody? No, he doesn't. Are we told to pray for healing in Israel? Yeah, we are. And many times I've seen the Lord touch people and just minister to them in a very special way. And there's been a lot of people we prayed for and they weren't healed. Prayed a number of times for, for uh, some of the wives in the church um, that had a problem with barrenness. We prayed for them, and man, uh, they, they had children. We prayed for one gal one time many years ago. She said, you have a prayer to stop this? I think she, after she had about six kids, she was ready to, you know, no more, no more. But that's not up to us. That's up to the Lord. So all this happening, you know, it created this, this flood of needy people, you know, coming to Jesus. And at evening, when the sun had uh, set, they brought to him all that were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. You know, when you think about our medical technology today and medicine today, we, we can't even imagine what a scene will be like this. You know, you go into the, you, you go into the um, third world and, man, you, 
if you've ever been to anyone and with any of our teams that have done that, and you see that the needs are tremendous. We, um, we contribute to the support of uh, the Mercy ships. And sometimes we get their magazines, and it's amazing to see uh, some of the different countries around the world where people have these goiters, where, where the goiter is almost the size of their head. Or, or the fact that they, they can't even walk before. And these, 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 uh, these ships are, are, are uh, uh, not just first aid ships. They, they have all kinds of surgical teams, you know, on these ships to minister to people. And when you look at some of the before and after cases, it's like, it's unimaginable. And thank God for the medical technology. You know God's given that technology? You know, may, maybe the Lord, you know, he doesn't always want to do it in a supernatural kind of a way. But praise God that we have the medical technology, you know, that we have and that God has given that kind of ability. You know, uh, I, I grew up with my grandmother, and she was from the old country. And uh, I can remember every time I was sick, she'd either give me cod liver oil or castor oil. So I got to a point where I just wasn't sick anymore. And, uh, and then she had her little thing of, of, of Carter's little, little liver pills, and I don't know what you use those for, but uh, uh, I think she even tried to give me those. But, um, um, you know, when you think about, again, the, and I can remember, too, as a kid, you know, growing up in the 50s as a kid, you know, when you got certain injuries, you just didn't go to the ho hospital. You didn't go to the doctors. So let's, go, let's just kind of wrap that up. Let's just put ice on it, you know, that kind of thing. So when you think about what we have available, you know, to this culture today, it's absolutely mind-boggling. It's incredible. One of the things that we discovered with our last team going down to Guatemala, because we did a dental clinic, that uh, most of the kids, just little kids, have all lost so many of their teeth. Because they, they, don't, they didn't have, we were providing toothbrushes and toothpaste because they don't have the means whereby for, you know, for a simple dental hygiene. And again, we just, you know, a lot of times we just assume. That's why, that's why so many people want to come to America. They just want to get here because they think this is the closest thing to heaven on earth. And I think it's important for us. Um, I, I think we need to share. I think as Americans, we, we, that's, 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 that's what our intention is by doing short-term ministry, to just simply share in any kind of small, you know, you could say, yeah, it's just a little pinprick, you know, as far as, you know, the great problems out there. But I'll tell you what, um, it's, a great, it's a great mercy to those individuals, Margie was telling me that her and I forget the gal. Um, who went on to the Who went to the African trip? Who went on the African trip? Carol, uh, what's the What's the gal at the base there in, in uh, Yushunga? Anybody know the Danielle? Danielle was with was with Margie and maybe a, another lady. And they were just out, out in some rural area. And here comes this young girl with a baby. And, and she just sort of, and, and she like, she, she and, and if you've ever been to Africa, it's like everybody in Africa walks. Like when you say, well, where do you live? Well, I live three days footing. Um, and you walk, you know, as you drive along the roads in Africa, it's amazing how many people are along the roads just walking. And this young gal with this baby says, walk from another district, another province. And it's like she, she didn't even know where she was kind of a thing. 
And, and Margie Danielle and whoever else was with her just met this, this young gal and, you know, and witnessed to her and prayed to her. And whatever they're giving out, I've, you guys were giving out something, giving out like wash, basket, wash bowls full of stuff, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, and, and it's like it's interesting how the love of God sent our team from here to some little unknown place in the heart of Africa to minister to a select group of individuals. That's the love of God. And I encourage you, let him send you. You don't have to go to Africa. It may be across the street. It may be, you know, wherever God shows you to be just that ambassador, you know, to reach out with the love of Christ. And again, in these, you know, here the whole city is gathered at the door, verse 33. He healed many of various diseases. He cast out demons. And what we see here is the deep, compassionate heart of Jesus Christ at work. He leaves his throne in heaven to come down here to touch lives and to fix the broken creation because of sin, what sin has done. Verse 35, I think, is simply an insight into the life of Jesus, his prayer life that he gets up very early in the morning, a long time before the sun even rises to pray, and, and all the disciples are looking, well, where is he? Because, you know, they're obviously not praying. And if Jesus needed to do, to do that, don't we more so need to be people of prayer? I wasn't going to call a, prayer, a community prayer night until this morning. And it's been all, it, it, the Lord's kind of dropped it in my heart a couple of different times. And when I started thinking about the morning, this, this, the prayer meeting that we can have tonight, I started thinking about this morning. I said, Lord, that must be you. So I encourage you, if you have the time, come on out. Now, in this last section, verses 40 through 45, uh, Jesus here now meets the leper, and this leper is just imploring him, begging him, interestingly, you know, there's been another recent outbreak of Ebola in the Congo in the last couple of weeks. Remember, it was a real bad one about five, six years ago, and the, the, the devastation of it. Uh, and one thing that you learn about, a, we were watching, Margie and I were also watching a, a special about it this week on TV, uh, and it was about the older uh, outbreak, that if you just touch somebody with it, that's it. The transmission is just... That quick, that, that, that simple. And when you think of leprosy, they treated lepers in that same kind of way. They were the untouchables. And, and here comes Jesus. And this man kneeling down, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, the Bible says that he is not willing. God is not willing that any should perish. I think the question, I think the greater question is simply this. Are we willing to ask God to work in our lives? Are we willing to let God change us? Are we willing to let God clean us up? I think sometimes it doesn't happen because why? We're not willing. But if we are willing to allow him to do what he wants to do, and of course, as he says this to Jesus, Jesus is more than willing. You know, he says, all that come to me, I will in no way cast out. 
We need to just bring ourselves, bring our situation, our circumstances. We need just to bring ourselves to Jesus. I think he awaits our asking. If you're willing, make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Man, the, the touch of Jesus upon our lives. Never underestimated. When, when's the last time you prayed, Lord, touch me? Lord, I need your hand upon my life. I find myself so often coming to him. And I don't always know what I need, but he does. And just, again, the touch of the master upon our situation, upon our life. Never underestimate that. Never underestimate coming to him. Because he knows our need. I, I, sometimes I feel like coming to Jesus, I'm coming to a doctor. Doctor, all I know is I got a pain. And, and it's kind of bothering me. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to fix it. And I think a lot of times we come to Jesus in that same kind of way. And so in verses 43, these next three verses, he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said, say nothing to, any, to anyone, but go to the priest and offer uh, for your cleansing the things that Moses commanded. And in verse 45, uh, he goes out and he proclaims it so openly that Jesus could no longer enter into the city. And I think here, his words very clearly show us that he's not interested in the big result syndrome. He's not interested in a cast of thousands or large, curious uh, uh, crowds. See, he's interested in the individual. You know, sometimes, you know, when you think about coming to Jesus, we don't come to him, and when we think about it, we don't come to him with a perfect motivation but we can come to him with a genuine desire. Lord, you know what I need. You know my heart. You know my life. You know my circumstance. You know my situation. But what I think about Jesus, he, he likes to keep it small, personal, intimate. That's why when we oftentimes ask people to stand up, we say the Lord knows what you need. You don't have to tell us. He understands that all you have to do is just open up your life and say, Lord, you know, do this within me or I give this to you, whatever the situation, the circumstance may be. The one thing that I see here in Jesus and all these different situations is that God meets us where we are. He meets us where we are. He doesn't leave us where we are. But he meets us where we are. I, I was thinking this week, because it was the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. And I, it was down the road here a ways in New York. And I was thinking about the, how that impacted so many different lives. And I can remember at the time... I had such a fascination with it because I obviously didn't go because I was in Vietnam at the time. And I remember when I came back, there had already been the, the album that had been produced about Woodstock. 
And I remember how I just digested, you know, that whole thing. And, you know, as you look back, that was this mass migration of baby boomers post-World War II. And, and in, in the mix of this whole thing, people are searching. There, there's a searching that's taking place. And I think in some kind of way, they, they said oh, it was basically about a half a million young people. And that was just the ones that made it. The, 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 the roads were so clogged that you couldn't get anything in. They had to bring in all the musical groups by helicopter. They had to shut down the New York State Thruway. And, and all of the, the venues there, the food venues, everything was woefully inadequate. They expected 150,000 and they got roughly over 500,000. And here you have this mass migration of young people. They're searching. They're searching for something. Hopefully in some kind of way that they're going to maybe distill some essence of life out of this by attending it. And you know what I'm thinking about? You know, as they, you know, as, as the, the venue through which they thought they would be enriched in some kind of way or blessed in some kind of way is through maybe some drug enca encounter, some musical experience, or, or the, the casting off of the old sexual taboos and sexual restrictions. I was watching a, a watchman called a documentary about it. And they said, the witnesses said they had never seen such nudity in all their life. And what it was was the sexual revolution in its infancy. And, and kind of look what that's brought to us. It's brought to us abortion, all kinds of venereal disease, AIDS. And, and people thinking that in some, through some kind of sexual behavior that they can find their fulfillment and their meaning. There was a song written after it that summed it all up. And I can remember the song. It was written by Joni Mitchell, but it was produced by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And they turned it into a hit. And I, could re I remembered one part of the, the lyric. And so I went to the... Uh, I went to the uh, one of those lyric websites, and got the words. And, you know, every song has a chorus or a refrain. You know, there, there's subpoints, and then the, the chorus or the refrain is the central, the central message of the song. And in that song, Woodstock, there was four different refrains. And here is the last one. We are stardust, billion-year-old carbon. We are golden, Caught in the devil's bargain, we have got to get ourselves back to the garden. And that was the, the lyric that I, I remembered. we got to get ourselves back to the garden. And it's a reference to Genesis 3. And you know what the devil's bargain is? As it was to our first parents. You can be as God. You can be autonomous. You, you can... You can you can basically speak your destiny. 
into existence. That, that's the lie. That's the devil's bargain. That's the lie of Satan. You can be as God. And the cry of the song was, we got to get ourselves back to the garden. And it's, re it's a reference to the Garden of Eden. But you know, we can't go back there. We can't go back to a place of innocence. You know, when you think about the tree of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as our first parents took from that fruit. We know that tree is locked up. No one has access to that tree. But we see the fruit, don't we? The results of the knowledge of good and evil. But you see, God has provided a tree of life. It's the cross. It's the cross. When we reach out to embrace the sacrifice of Christ, that he will give to us this gift of faith and gift of eternal life and gift of his righteousness. <laughs> I think in all humanity, just like those, that half a million people 50 years ago, and here extrapolate that down, you know, through history here, people still today are, are searching and groping for some kind of meaning and purpose. And the devil's always got a bargain for people. Whether it's drugs or sex or whatever. And it was interesting to see the pictures of these people coming to this thing in mass. And that's why Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As we close this morning. If you have something you want to give over to the Lord, some issue, maybe you need him to touch you in a certain area of your life. God knows your need this morning. I want to pray for you. If you want to stand up, you can. Father, how we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for the new life that you promise. Oh, the devil has so many bargains for people today. And Lord, it always leaves them in a lurch, always leaves them empty, always leaves them defeated. But we thank you, Lord, for your cross. That, Lord, you died, you intervened, you interceded. You went to a cross that whoever would believe and trust in you, that our sins would be transferred to their cross. And the life of God would be transferred to us through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you. And as we look around our world today, Lord, Lord, we see the, the hopelessness, the violence, the unbelief, the hatred. So many things, Lord. And we know that, Lord, you're the solution. We live in a sea of lost people. 
Help us, Lord, I pray. Give us eyes to see that. Give us a heart of compassion. Help us, Lord, to reach out to those, Lord, that would be lepers. Lord, people that would be considered untouchable. We hear about uh, many of these young men that commit these violent acts. That what they have in common, one of the things they have in common, Lord, is they have no father in their life. And Lord, you want to be their heavenly father. You want to love them. Lord, you want to give their life purpose and meaning. And so help us, Lord. We have a message because we have a master in our lives. Help us, we pray, to reach out, Lord, to those that you put before us. Lord, we pray for our nation today. Lord, there's a tremendous need. Lord, for so many that are searching, looking, groping, hopeless. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of hope. And Lord, even though, Father, many people would not come in a venue like this, Lord, fill our hearts and lives up that we might go out to them, that you might use us, Lord. Just just convey, Lord, your love, your compassion, your mercy, your touch you have for them. And so, Father, I pray that as we look to you this morning, and Lord, we're going to be going out there in just a a short, short time. Fill our hearts, Lord. Give us the love of Christ. Give us your grace and your compassion. We pray and ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.